Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. As Nike trainers, international retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, we help people from all different backgrounds push towards their potential, get healthy, and change the world. This podcast is about teaching others to actively pursue their entrepreneurial dreams, similar to how we pursued ours, and how to get and stay healthy doing it. We didn't start our careers in training and wellness. Jason worked in public accounting, and I, Brett, worked in corporate retail until starting our dream experiential wellness business, Live Better. What started as an idea for a protein bar led us down a path to build what Live Better is now, which performs everything from personal training and corporate wellness to international wellness retreats and yoga and meditation for kids. We are here to encourage you to follow your dreams while holding you accountable. It's not easy, it's not always simple, but it is possible. Let's make today the best day ever. Live Better Podcast today, super hyped to have uh, Kofi Hughes on the show today. Kofi is, <laughs> wears many hats, um, probably depends how you know him, how you've seen him, and if you haven't, if you go to his Instagram, you're going to see training, performance training, you're going to see lifestyle, you're going to see art, uh, you're going to see a lot. Uh, Kofi, when somebody asks you what you do, does it depend who it is? How do you answer it? I, I usually say I have fun. Okay. <laughs> I usually say I, I have fun for a living just because I like to, I just like to create and just do whatever. Um, but I don't really like titles or like, I don't just train, I don't just do art, but I I like to have fun. Yeah. Create. Yeah, I love that. I think that's one of the most interesting things. Jason and I, a few years ago, were, um, were actually visit we're, we were in Paris randomly at oh, the same wow. time. And we met up with a woman. It was random that we both at the same time. And we met up with a woman that had come on of our retreats. And we were um, we went over to her condo, like a little flat, or hang out with people. And when the night ended, Jason and I looked at each other. We were like, "How crazy was that? We just sat down with like 15 new people, and not one person asked, what do you do?'" And I think it was just such an interesting. It never came up. Never came up about what we did. And we we the only thing that ever came up is that we ran this retreat that she came on. But they never asked like, "What do you guys do for like work?" It was never a conversation for four hours. And I was like, "Man, that's so interesting." You know, diving into different cultures and being mm. in different places. How in you know the U.S. or in Western culture, it's so focused. What do you do? Like that's yep. the first question you ask. Like, where are you from? But it's like there's so much more to that. And I think like what you mentioned I think a lot of people get caught up in that in the title um, and so it's so interesting to meet people and, and hang out with people and, and know people that are doing what they do because they love it and there's so many pieces to the puzzle that it's sometimes hard to like knock down like people ask what we do and I'm like I like I don't even really know I can't really tell you I'm, I have I do a bunch of things um, but I guess one question I wanted to start off with is you know, because you're, you have such a creative side, but then you have such a tactical side. I mean, I've seen you train clients and it's programmed and people like you're, you're dialed in. Um, how do you go between the two? Like, do you go between the two in a day or do you say today I'm going to create art or from noon to four, I'm going to create art um, versus train my clients? Like, how do you work on those different switches of your brain or do you feel that they blend somehow? Uh, <laughs> I think it just depends where my heart's at in the given season. I think sometimes I do a better job at... <laughs> to me, training is an art. So I get to be Kofi the artist while I'm on the training floor because, like, there's nothing more than I love than, like, for example, with, with art, I learned principles before I really started creating art. Relationship between colors. 
um, basic composition, things like that, things that have never changed for years. And then when you look at my training, my mentors only taught me principles. They didn't teach me necessarily how to train. They taught me the principles behind training. And with those, I feel like when you teach a trainer and an artist principles, now you're free to create. You're free to express it. And that's why, you know, the way Brett trains is a little bit different than the way that Jason trains and the way that I train. We all look different, but it's the same principles. It's the same nuts and bolts to the thing. And so... Um, to me, training every day is an opportunity to get creative. You know what I'm saying? Whether a, uh, one of my clients' knees bug them. To me, I get excited. Like, okay, I have to show up. I have to perform in the same way that, you know, when I'm painting, I'm an abstract expressionist. It's, it is a performance every time that I paint. There's no plan. There's no game plan. There's no, I don't draw. I don't pick where colors are going to go. It is all spur, spur of the moment. And so, Training is like that too, because you guys know that like somebody comes in, they just got something's achy, something's funky, and it's like you, I have to go off script ASAP and address this specific need. Um, and as beautiful as that might sound, it's not always. Sometimes I'm stuck in like the trainer mindset. I'm not feeling like an artist, and I'm not gonna lie, it's dull and it's hard to get through and it's gruesome. And um, like I said, I think it all depends on where my heart is at and. Am I caught up in what you were talking about before, which is like that question of, oh, well, what do you do? Like, that's effed me up more over the last two years than any time in my life. Because in doing more, you want to do more. And making more money, you want to make more. And it's like, that's not what it's about. It's not about what you're up to. But yet, the more that I'm up to, I want to be up to more things. And it's like, so I, I don't know, living in that tension, I think still i'm still learning i don't know it's so hard i got to go to the event you threw with maggie um recently and for those that are listening it was a dual live yoga class in a museum inside a hotel and kofi was painting while maggie was teaching a yoga class while we had live music so you're in a very creative space it was a cool space and when you were just talking right there i just kind of thinking back like when you're a new trainer or a new artist you're just putting those principles which you have a very light grasp of like directly into play you're going to come in you're going to follow it rigidly like a chef would follow the first recipe they ever pulled from the book there is no deviation there is no artistic expression and i think when you become a better trainer you train the client that walks in the door not what you have on paper and you can tell when someone's force feeding bad movements to somebody who's not ready for it when you come in to paint and you don't have anything planned and you end up in that little rut if you were to have done that when we were in that live yoga class where do you start because I feel like when I'm thinking about training at least from a principal's point and I just want to like kind of understand this because I'm just interested in the art that you do too from a training, I know at least some of the response or like stress that I want to elicit. Yep. But like when you're doing that for art, what is that process like from the very beginning? I, th- I thought I heard you say at one time you don't have any formal art training. So like you're not yep. falling on years of taking classes right, and, right, uh, right. and an art history major. So walk through like what that's like addressing that first canvas because the canvas doesn't spit back. It's not like, hey, my knees are bothering me. Right. But so like, so first of all, um, yeah, for those listening, I'm an abstract expressionist, which is an extremely niche 
way of doing art. Um, Which is my favorite art. That and pop art. Yeah, and then your guys' hallways are covered with big-time guys, big-time. Rothko, I was telling him, Miro, which was one of Jackson Pollock's biggest inspirations. Um, The thing about abstract expressionism is... The best way I can put it is, like, it's like a football game or a basketball game. And, like, training on the training floor for me is more like practice. So, like, when I'm painting, it's game day. When I'm in the gym... It's practice. You know what I'm saying? Practice, there is space and time to stop, have a conversation. Let's do that again. Let's go. Oh, you don't get that? Okay. Can't do that in the game. (laughs) Can't do that in the game. So So understand, my art is only like game day, meaning you got to just bring what you got, and you're either going to flop or you're going to win. Um, and that's like the f- scary thing, and that's the reason why I think I vibe with abstract expressionism because there's no right or wrong necessarily. It's pure expression. So the faster that I move, the more I tap into my subconscious, and we're going to get more of an authentic expression of just, I always tell people, my art is a literal expression of the status of my heart. Like, it is what it is. So that one that I did that night um, at the event, Dude, I was battling before that event. I had a lot of internal distress. I don't know what was going on, but I was dealing with a lot of internal conflict with just, I don't know what was in the air, but it was, bro, it was like, I did not want to paint that night, which sucked because I was so excited about that night and I don't know what hit. It just felt like a little bit of warfare. It was just like, oh man, like I don't want to do this at all, but yet to me it's that it's that opportunity like in a game as well like where you have those nerves or maybe you're not feeling like you're prepared for this you're feeling like man i should have studied more i'm not ready to go against my opponent etc but we gotta play you know what i'm saying and there's ups and downs in a football game and there's ups and downs in a painting there's there's points in times where i'm moving and i'm like this is trash this is terrible and i can feel how terrible it is and it looks terrible and i have the option to quit Every time I paint, I have the option to quit. Every game I've ever played, there's really an option to be like, coach, take me out. Or we press forward. And in painting, and that's what is so cool, is that that one thing that I hated maybe 30 minutes ago is now the centerpiece for why this thing came together. Um, and so I tell I tell my kid, my athletes all the time, that's why I love writing, I love um, painting, just because to me, it's an opportunity to practice real life. You're not going to like everything. You might feel like this is the worst thing ever, but that feeling ain't true. Like, on the other side of that is actually, like, the glory or what you're about to step into. If you don't stop, just don't stop. Keep writing, keep painting, keep drawing, keep going. Um, And usually it turns out really, really beautiful. And sometimes it doesn't. You take an L. (laughs) I kind of like the permanence of the ink, too. Because I feel like when things are just rattling around your head you walk yourself out of it you talk yourself out of it. you convince yourself that's not how you felt even if you try to go back two days and remember how you felt two days ago you can't do it you might remember how you felt about a specific event that's a bit more imprinted but there's permanence to the to the brush stroke there's a um Miyamoto um, Musashi is like one of the most it probably is the most famous samurai of all time he was also an artist and a poet he has a super cool painting that he just took one really strong striking brush stroke across the page and then left it and I also have seen um, and I can't remember which 
East Asian culture does it, but they practice drawing a circle yeah. with a paintbrush, which you can't do perfectly. Right. But there's permanence to that by saying we're striving to make perfect, but the ink is permanent. And so you will always be reminded that this can never be permanent. So you might as well take one confident brush stroke because once you do, like it's on there. Yeah. And then you improve that and work around it. I'm sure the first painting you ever painted, you were probably like, yes. <laughs> compared to what you could pop out now in a 60 minute artistry session. Do you enjoy having a 60 minute time constraint or kind of building on Brett's question, do you like, if you had one canvas, would you rather spend 60 minutes with it or the whole day? There's no, only only a day, 30 or maybe minutes. even longer. 30 minutes. You like shorter? 30 minutes. I, I So like, that 60 was hard for me, that class was hard, because like, I will usually sit with a blank canvas for three to four hours. Like to me, that's what like, the time that's going into the painting. I'm sitting here and I'm just trying to listen. All right, God, what, what's going on? What's, what, what are we expressing? What's the revelation? What's the word? Um, what, what are we putting on this canvas that someone's going to have as a reminder in their home? And that to me takes time. I got to dwell. I got to really dwell. I got to get present. I got to remove all thinking and I just need to listen. Um, and so I'll sit there and meditate, like I said, two, three, four hours. And then I kid you not, for my friends who are, if they listen, they know it's just random. I'll pop up, boom, grab this, go, da 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 da. And once I get going, I will not stop. I'll just black out. <laughs> just black out for 30 minutes. Sometimes it feels like 30, but it was only five and it's done. Sometimes it's an hour and a half and it's a struggle, but I'm just throwing paint at this thing until it's done. Um, it's all about knowing when to stop. But yeah, I, I prefer a short amount of time of painting but way more time with the painting before you paint it like to me that's like where I'm getting like downloads and that's where it's like it's all about the just I mean it's violent it just comes out um, there's just something about that element of speed to your point about like just being confident with that one brush stroke and being cool with that like that's the, that's my biggest battle as an abstract expressionist is like not thinking about what I'm doing not judging that last movement and be like what the frick like I liked it before that like that's the battle in my mind all the time is like why'd I do that but it's like no stop this is not a concrete thing you're not supposed to say this looks good and this doesn't I'm getting further and further away from what I'm trying to do when I think that way be confident and just let that thing rip and trust that at the end this is going to be a complete message um, with that one thing you said there is knowing when to stop how do you know listen I'm always listening um yeah when I paint I have to listen I, I tell people all the time it's like a dance with God like he like the whole time I'm just like I've never picked a color for a painting to this day I literally will sit there and listen and if I don't have anything I will just not paint and I'll wait and I'll wait and then I'll, I kid you not something just gets high okay boom when I feel like I'm done with that I'll sit down again and pick just because I'm, I'm not an interior designer I don't, I'm not, I usually for commissions, I let people submit a, a color palette just because I don't feel comfortable doing it. But when I do paint just for myself, it's just, it's, it is a constant state of listening, which it's like the only place I get to do that. My world, I'm always either talking or running or going and this and that. But when I get into that studio alone, it is quiet. And I'm just trying to hear like, what color's next? Like what thing, where, where am I going? What are we doing? Um, 
And then that's why you have to take a lot of breaks. So I'll go hard for five minutes and I'll sit back and I'll, might be an hour. Okay, sit back again. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes the best part, um, it's kind of one of my favorite parts, is that like paintings are like, are, is like wine. And for anyone that like understands wine, like when you pick grapes, they're not ready to be drank. They're not good yet. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna take some t- like after you pick the grapes to the time you enjoy the wine, what well, could be years, right? And so like when that painting's done, to me, that's like the grapes have been picked. There's paintings I kid you not. Like every time I look at it, it just gets better and better. And I don't know how the heck it does that. I don't know. But, but I kid you not, like, and I put on the back of my canvases, like, cut this date, and then I'll put another date for when maybe it sells, for when it's about to be enjoyed, so that people can see those two dates, like, it's been three years, this painting's been just chilling, just maturing, just, it's wrapped up, it's just sitting there, it's archived, and, like, I feel like I'm pulling out an old bottle of wine, like, here, like, it's ready to be enjoyed, like, take this, um, I don't get it. <laughs> but, but I think that's art. Like, yeah, I don't it, think anybody gets it. Like, why are you going to spend $100 million on a painting? Because somebody says that's $2 million more. I like it $2 million more than the last time I looked at it for, in perpetuity. Yeah. I mean, you see it, too. Like, I was just at the Art Institute last weekend and just going through the Monet exhibit, which was just ending. And, you know, you go through these exhibits and you see how much these artists put out and how much of that was put out before anybody knew who knew who they were. And it's like I always think about that with art too. It's like such a it's such a long-term like commitment to like the process of it. You know, similarly to to training and the fact that you can't go do one set of bench mm. press and next week go up Come necessarily. Yep. Or you can't say I want to get faster. You do three drills and you get faster. It's a process. Right. And so it's like I love how those two things intertwine. Um, and I always use examples of like fitness with people when I'm talking to them about any sort of journey in life. Heck yeah. Um, and I think that's so interesting to see. Like, I, whenever I go into, I love art exhibits for the art and also just because when you go in that, you take a step back and you've seen, you know, a, a Monet picture and you understand the beauty of it. Then you go into the archive and you see this dude grinded his ass off to do a thousand paintings before he came to that one. And all we see now, and especially in today's day and age, is just this this what's new, what's fresh, what's right now. But it's like so cool to see like these people hustled before hustle was a word. These people right. grinded before, you know, it didn't matter if it, they were gonna get likes on this photo or not. They didn't care. They just did it for like for that for that expression. And I think that's so valuable to like understand how all things take time and right. energy and to, to ferment like wine. I wish more people understood that in training. Um, and I've had, and it's made me better, a better trainer communicating to my clients, listen, this is a long-term play. Like, not because I want you to be my client for a long time. That's just the way it is. Like, don't make this about me trying to keep you for an extended amount of time. Like, I want more retention. It is not about retention, okay? Inquiries are not a problem. It's about results in that, like you said, it takes years, you know what I'm saying? But with this, like, fast social media, oh, my God, her body's amazing. She trains with you. Okay, I want that. Like, she's been going at that for six years. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? These bodybuilders that now have millions of followers, like, buy my program. It's like, bro, that six-week program does not 
is not the seven years that you've been at this thing. Um, but I, I think that like guys like you, guys like myself, as we continue to educate um, the fitness community, I actually, I'm not going to lie, I'll put this out there on here. I, I want to start uh, some sort of podcast or something called Group Fitness Rehab just to re, like, re-educate group fitness instructors, people who love group fitness, that, that there's nothing wrong with group fitness, but you need to understand like there's no get-rich-quick scheme. There's no run fast enough, and you're going to get fast scheme. Like it's, I just wish we could all think about longevity the way that so I think that people are starting to think about their wellness more and thinking about better food decisions and more longevity regarding their body. But for some reason, people still come into training sessions like, just kill me. And I'm like, whoa, um, <laughs> that's not that's not the road to results. Um, it's it's daily deposits. It's, it's a really beautiful training program that doesn't kill you because it's calculated. And there's an end result, not a result at the end of this week. There's one a year from now that we're working towards, but um, I call it, yeah, group fitness rehab. All my clients, I got to take them through it. Like, come on, man, we got to help you. Like, I'm not supposed to just bang you out in this session and just make you just fall out. Like, this is a beautiful picture that we're about to paint together. And if you don't want that, then I'm just not, you know, the trainer for you. Um, You can go to the guy who kills you every session. No one should be doing that. Facts. No one, no yeah. one should be doing. That. No one responds well to that, no right. matter if you think you do or don't. And I, I was listening to um, <clears throat> a podcast uh, the other day between Peter Atia, who's like a really high level MD, um, but has a great way of explaining very complicated subjects with guests who are both kind of like um, journalistic, but they're top of their field if they're coming on there as missing. He was talking to Lane Norton, who's like. A, I don't even know all the degrees he has, but super high level nutritional sciences. And he's also an insane uh, bodybuilder and powerlifter. Okay. He was, they were having a discussion on both habits and habit forming and what the incentives were when you're essentially describing like why you would be changing your diet or why you'd be taking on exercise. And they referenced James Clear saying like the cost of your the cost of building good habits is now the cost of making bad habits like forming bad habits is later because mm. you're making short term sacrifices for something that is delayed and then conversely when you flip that if you are taking on let's say bad nutrition now you're the, the consequence of that shows up later right. when they've been accumulated for that long and they were having all of these interesting discussions about like fads and trends that have come up that have skewed people's thinking into how food works and how training stimulus works. Um, and I've just been like listening to a lot of like high level running coaches, high level lifting coaches, like start to talk about um, not stressing the body at a hundred percent problem with group fitness is that it incentivizes this like reward for feeling like death so then that gets carried over into our one-on-one sessions Mm. and you're just kind of like the whole point of receiving one-on-one attention is so you don't have to be fed from a group bowl like you you you're coming here to address individual needs there's nothing wrong with being entertained and going to group fitness classes because 
this is what it is. Right. But the problem is you need personal, individual education to make group fitness classes work better for you. Yeah. Instead of just showing up, going all out, and then wondering why things aren't working. Right. Lady literally yesterday, I'm not going to use her name, it was her first session yesterday. She's like, well, I'm here to die, right? <laughs> I was just like, whoa. <laughs> uh, no, actually not. And I just, I was cracking up. I was like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. She's like, I'm here to die, right? And I'm like, no, you're here to live. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, right. Literally. Exact opposite, in fact. Yes. Dang, girl. But it's hard. Letting, letting general information like that matriculate, it's going to have to come back around because you're already dealing with, I can't tell you how many clients, people I've had conversations with coming out of group fitness injured in some way, burnt out, hormones out of whack. They got this going on. I don't feel like this. And I'm like, well, tell me about your schedule. Take mm. seven group fitness classes a week and I also run three Beast. times a week and then I work 80 hours a week and then I go out three times a week and I'm like yeah you just answered your own question <laughs> I'm like why don't you take stock of that before asking it before uh, going into all of that on like you know why is this not working for me or why do I not feel good you guys do a lot of reading and research on habits and thinking and and, and I, I, I want to tap in more, more to that because I, I I recently had a big life change I lost 40 pounds over the last five months um, and it's funny because I've been talking about wanting to lose weight for three years but like why did that not happen you know what I'm saying like I'm talking about it is in my dialogue my weekly dialogue with my wife with my clients like I'm just tired of being 225 I'm, I'm not going to get hit by a linebacker anytime soon um, I wish I was 205 I wish I was 205 it'd be ideal but yet you keep eating like 225 you keep eating like a dude who weighs 230 240 um and i don't know i'd like to hear you guys kind of talk a little bit more maybe what you've heard recently on the habit stuff because i just think it's interesting i in communicating to my clients you're like what happened you know what's the secret and i'm like it's tired of being fat like I, i think it's i don't have nothing else for you other than i woke up one day it was these exact, not these exact pants, but the same Lululemon license to train for everybody listening. Um, <laughs> I was at Starbucks. I was at Starbucks. <laughs> and I'm like, why are these people at this table looking at me crazy? And I'm like, so I go back to reading and writing and I'm chilling. And, and I'm like, why is this group of ladies looking at me crazy? Like, do I know one? Like, what the heck? Y'all, I look down at my crotch. My whole crotch is blown out. <laughs> I'm talking about all the way to like right like mid thigh it is all blown out which I was already like I did have a little draft going (laughs) I did feel that a little bit but I went home that still wasn't enough still ate crazy and then that next day one of my clients looked at me Andrea Hare she says Kofi you look big man and I'm like what do you mean? <laughs> and she's like, You mean my, my, you're like, my you're just kind of like busting at the seams. And I'm like, Crap. That I'm already up. in double XL, you know, this and that, da da da. Um, and then freaking Max at Lateral. It was the same day Andrea said that to me. He's like, Kof, man, you've been lifting heavy. I'm like, Actually, I ain't been working out at all. He's like, Oh, you just look huge, bro. Huge. I'm just like, <sighs> <laughs> Dang, like I'm real life fat, like, and I just feel like you, you do you want 
to keep being fat or do you not want to be fat? And for me, it was like, I'm just going to eat less. Eating more got me here. I'm just going to eat less. And now I'm down in 205 and it feels great. Um, and I want to stay here. But yeah, I, I, I want to learn more about habits, developing habits, the proper way of thinking about it, etc. cetera. Um, because I don't like the people who preach like, well, you know, you can't have this and you can't have that. Because I'm not going to lie, I've been eating chicken wings and pizza the whole journey. It's just, yeah, it's, not, it's not four pieces. Mm-hmm. I eat two pieces. Yeah, It's not a 12 piece, yeah. it's a six piece. Like, I don't know. I heard, I, had, I have like, I'll let Brett answer this from his point of view too, because I feel like both answers will be warranted. I had three things. The first thing is just like what I say to everyone is like radical self-honesty. Not from a point of self-deprecation, but from real Amen, and telling like myself this is how it is. This is why I have clients get DEXA scans. The numbers in there don't lie. Here is your, here is your fat mass. Mm. Here is your lean mass. Here is your bone density, and this is your total weight. Some of the lean mass is technically water, but like forgetting the semantics. Like, here is the printout. No one is judging you. No one's telling you your pants are a little tight. Or, like, your hair doesn't look good. Or those shorts don't, like, fit you Mm. quite right. It's just data. It's one point. But being honest with yourself from a point of self-care, not self-deprecation, is the first thing. As a coach, if you hire me, I'm not going to go tell Susie or Jim on the street, like, yo, dude, (laughs) I should train you, and I should also get you nutritional help because you're busted at the seams. If you pay me, I'm going to tell you from Mm. a place of love and care as your client, as a lawyer would, defending a, like a murder defendant is going to say, I'm going to do the best job because this is what I'm hired to do. I'm going to tell you honestly what should happen. That's the first thing. The second thing is that um, in the same kind of vein on James Clear. Uh, which we have sort of taken on in our mindset course is that you need a new identity. Someone who's coming from a place of overweight is telling themselves a story at that weight. This is how I got here. Here are my excuses. Here are my limitations. Here are this. When you change, if you want that to be sustainable forever, you must take on a new identity. And actually from that same podcast, they were discussing this because... One of them was talking about how training had always been a part of their lives. Like that's why being in sports or doing something active as a kid is really important because that's part. And this can work against you, which I'll give an anecdote for in a second. I identify with being active. That is a part of me. I will never give up training. It feels worse to me to not work out than it does to work out. And whatever that looks like, good or bad on the training side, I feel better when I'm active. It will never not be a part of my life. That's not the case for a lot of people who didn't come from that earlier. I think food is harder because we all had different relationships with food when we were younger. We weren't like, there was no sweet green. It was like freaking Pop-Tarts and like a regular Coke for breakfast on top of like literally Lucky Charms with like root beer dumped on. (laughs) We're just straight sugar. Sugar, So you got to have a new identity for that. I think the food lags because of the emotional attachment to food lags behind the fitness which can have its own issues of course but i think food is generally a more difficult conversation um and then at the end it's social support it's choosing all of those things to reinforce that new identity that you can't do when you run out of willpower 
the di- your discipline is finite. It is yeah. not an infinite amount. So self-honesty, here's where I'm at, here's where I want to go. Okay, I've identified where I'm at. No more lies, no more rattling around my own head. Facts. This is where writing goals down because the ink is permanent, to go back to the same art conversation. Then we look at, okay, I need a new identity when those things start to change. And then along the way, the whole bottom of that is social reinforcement, environmental reinforcement. That also goes back into the identity. You're trying to give up booze, but you're walking into bars and clubs all the time and the only people you hang out with are heavy drinkers. Right, like, right, you right. are screwed. Yep. You are screwed. And that's, you know, that I feel like that's why couples are either in shape or they're not. There's not a lot of drastic mismatch because that's your primary form of social support. And that is the constant reinforcement. Family plays a huge role into that and that's where I think the nutritional dynamics and social dynamics come into play. Um, amongst several others, but I think that that social support is like the kind of the catch-all that is really going to be the defining factor on whether that new identity sticks and then becomes reinforced. Um, and I think it's harder to take on that new identity if you're not honest with where you are and you're not honest about what's yeah. going on. I think it's kind of tough. When you decided months ago to now, how'd you do it? Like how did since you that day you busted at the seams, you had a couple people talk to you. Like what'd you do, um, and how how did you stay on when so so it got tough? I didn't work out once. I have to say that um, I prayed on it, and I felt God telling me that um, we're going for a lifestyle change. So that's why when you're talking about radical self honesty, that was I'm fat. That was the like, I'm fat. I'm overweight. This is not acceptable. Um, because in my opinion, overeating, like I have been for a long time, is the kind of the way we were. We, I was raised to eat to failure. That's what we did at the dinner table. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah. Christmas, Thanksgiving, like it's it's it, the the funny thing is is like who's gonna fall asleep first after the meal? Because we just over freaking indulge, and so like, and then as an athlete, we overindulge because we can get away with it. Yeah. Um, you just don't care, and so that radical self-honesty of I'm fat and number two the new identity it was basically I was praying on the lifestyle change I knew I was not going to diet I knew that it wasn't going to be like let me go get a trainer let me go commit to something and do a six-week program to just get it all off like God was like this was put on for over three to four years we're gonna we're gonna change your life not change your weight we're gonna change your life and so um I made a commitment to eating less. And that was all that I had a single focus. And it was like, we're going to focus on what you're putting on your mouth before what you do with your body. And so I had to rechange my relationship to food before I was going to go back into the gym. Um, and so now I'm back in the gym and now trying to run again. Um, but bro, it was just eating less. And yeah. I, I, I don't have any other, I can't put anything on it. I didn't, like I said, I didn't stray away from burgers and wings and pizza, but it's funny how like eating less consistently over time, seeing the scale go down, because I weigh myself every single day, radical self-honesty. To me, it's not like a, I don't have body dysmorphia mis- or whatever that's called and all that. Like my wife actually told me when I was 245, like, baby, I, I still think you look good. Like, I like you. Like, I, I'm even okay with the extra. Like, she would affirm me all the time. Like, I love you. I love your body. I'm like, baby, 
I love me too. I'm not gonna lie. Even at 245, yes, I'm uncomfortable. I'm fat. I love me more than anybody else. So like, I think that radical self honesty part is just so healthy. Um, but yeah, bro, I I want I want to I want to change my life. I want a lifestyle change. I don't want to lose weight. I want a lifestyle change. I don't. I believe that I'm too gifted. I'm too well equipped to be behaving like this. And I feel like. Anytime someone is overindulging in something, it's a manifestation of something that's really going on in their heart. Something's off. There's no reason to be pounding that like that. There's no reason to be swollen, overweight, busting out. It's not just a bad habit. What is in your heart? What are you trying to suppress or what are you trying to fill with eating six to seven pieces of pizza and falling asleep? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just no, it's no good. As much, and it, I feel like in the world that looks so much better than maybe being on the street and having a drug problem, but I'm sorry, like... It's just the same, this is a different side of the same coin. Yeah. And that's the, but that's what you said, I want to change my life now, my guy, it's a much higher level question. It's a much much higher level statement. Mm-hmm. That cannot fail, my lifestyle cannot fail, your diet, that's easy to fall off, but I want to change my life, that's going to hit a little closer to home. Right. And your point of restriction was less food for other people that's less carbohydrates more protein the schematics of it is nah, whatever yep. and i also think back to the earlier conversation you asked um on time and being in a rush and speed i always just say like triple your timeline if you're gonna do whole 30 make it whole 90 mm. fail at 60 days instead of 20 days triple your timeline it will give you more breathing room to let life get in the way, which is inevitable. Sorry, but if you're not doing it now, what makes you think in the next 30 days this is going to be perfect? Right. When it's your friend's sister's birthday and everyone's in town and then there's this wedding, you think you're going to be the only sober one at that wedding not eating? I don't think so. Right. So you can't be that firm because you haven't been. This isn't an overnight switch, nor should you probably be being that strict about things. Like There are things that should be enjoyed. It is just picking and choosing what you can commit to yeah. and being savagely, savagely consistent for triple the amount of time you thought. Instead of doing the six-week program, how about six years? Yeah. How about you commit to six years of changing? And then you maybe figure out at year two, like, I'm a runner. I'd like to do this race. <laughs> I'd like to do this race. And then you can because you're in a better spot. Because right. Now you have newfound discipline. You have a new identity. It's easier to make those changes because you have some momentum rolling on that. I think it's tough for people because we have these goal lists and we always want to be in a rush. But if you had, and I, I think when you were talking about it from the pizza versus the drug problem, and you said, I can't, this is unacceptable because I'm too well equipped. There's a lack of respect, self-respect for your own abilities Facts. to be smashing seven pieces of pizza. And the question should not be black or white. It should be, is this optimal? Is this the best choice available? Is yeah. seven better than six? Is six better than five? Is five better than four? Maybe two's okay for that night because you're going to be training hard and you right. haven't been doing it for four days. But is seven optimal? Probably not. And I don't need to be compared to you, and you don't need to be compared to Katie, and Katie doesn't need right, to be right. compared to Jimmy, because one's doing a marathon, and one's just trying to get off the couch, one's trying to take care of their baby, 
And it's just like, is this optimal for you right now for where you are, where you want to go, and will that be sustainable? And if the answer is no, then you need a better strategy. And that's why coming from an identity perspective versus a diet perspective, radical. Because it's the same clients every week talking to me about how much they don't like the fat on their triceps. But it's also the same client every week telling me about how many bottles of wine they smash. Mm -hmm. And they're coming from a diet and aesthetical, maybe more vain perspective versus, Cliff, I'm trying to change my life. I don't want to live like this. I don't, yeah. And and that's, I'm not going to lie, we should probably talk about that. But like, because I'm not going to lie, I struggle with this a little bit. And I'm sure you guys understand what I'm saying. We're like, you know what your client needs but they're telling you only what they want. And it's like, I know what you need, and you need to change your life. <laughs> but you're not interested in that. And so I, I, I think that there is a grace and a waiting game as a trainer as well of, well, I'm going to keep giving you what you need, and I'm also going to give you a little bit of what you want, and I'm just going to give you time and patience to wait for the day that you're like, all right, enough's enough. I'm tired of having 22 drinks a week. I'm tired of drinking you know, three, four nights a week. I, I really want to make the change because I try to force that on people out of love. Like, yo, it is not the training. Quit drinking 20 drinks on a two, on a, on a Thursday. Like, quit, like, but it's never received because it's like the people, you know, my wife telling me or myself telling me, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. It's been three years, dude. You didn't want to lose weight. You like it. You like it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you like you like it. Yeah, you Let's love just, twenty drinks on Thursday. You know what I'm saying? More than you love, and that's cool. That. If that's just where you're at, yeah, that's the honesty that, part. Yeah. That's that radical honesty. You like, can't be you can't be at odds. And I, I think it would be remiss of us to not identify that the fitness industry as a whole props up a misguided identity. That is the problem. That is what creates body dysmorphia issues. Mm. That because we are striving for identities that don't aren't healthy. They don't make sense. They are for magazine covers, and that in and of itself is reinforcing a bad identity. There is value in being aspirational, but the information has to be delivered responsibly. Mm-hmm. I have good genes. <laughs> I train my ass off. And I eat well. There are tons of things that I struggle with that I try and be open about, but I try and deliver that from recognizing that I'm in a biased position. Okay. I don't know what it's like to be 60 pounds overweight. I've never been there. But if we can be honest about where you are, I can help you get where you want to go. Right. And I think that to your last point, dangling that carrot of, okay, Let me allow you to sample some of what you think that you need. And then I'm going to give you what I know that you need. And you're eventually going to watch that contrast form and say, well, this is clearly better than that. Because if I was doing it on my own, I wouldn't be training with you. I would be doing it on my own. Like you're paying me for something. And I think that there is a little bit of give and take in your grace, patience, and time. Like that that is what it takes. And I always like the little smirk and throw my hands up like, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> Just took some time to get here. I think that's okay. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that, you know, we, that kind of wraps all this stuff up, which is kind of good, is, you know, we talk a lot about 
one of the things you mentioned was consistency. You said it a few times, so did you, Jay, and I think that's just, like, always is, like, my driving force is when anything we do is all about consistency, whether it's good or bad, right? You don't get, you don't gain weight overnight, and you don't lose it overnight. Thanks. And, you know, one of the things that, once we're done with this podcast, you get to sign that wall over there. Um, our whole motto is just have the best day ever, right? And it's, that is a consistency game in itself because mm. you have to wake up and it's a choice to do that. It's not just a whimsical saying. It's this, I am going to make th- this day that way because I have this laid out in front of me. I'm going to attack this day. I understand that these are all opportunities. This is beautiful. I'm just here and, it, and it's amazing. Uh, so one thing we love to ask everybody on the show is if you could wake up tomorrow and do anything you wanted, paint, train, work out, eat, whatever, be anywhere, what is Kofi's best day ever look like? Um, I was just asked this on an interview with Lululemon, and I told them, I was like, exactly what I'm doing. Like, I tell my wife this every day. I tell everybody around me. I got the best life out of anybody I personally know. Like, I have that conviction in my heart. That's how happy I am. That's how much... I love my clients and I love to work and I love being just dog tired after a 12 session day. I also love taking the day off and going to the studio. I like waking up early, reading and writing or sleep. Like, I'm, I don't know. I feel so grateful, um, especially being a previous athlete and devoting my life to football, which, you know, unfortunately you don't get you don't get to know anything else like now that I'm out of the sports realm and like that's why I tell you I just have to have fun like let's not put a label on it like I want to build an event I want to go create this I want to go get into business I want to go do this like I don't know I feel like I wish everybody understood how equipped they are and how much value they bring and how like you can expound upon that you can actually build more of it you can continue to elevate your brand you can continue to learn um my perfect best day is just whatever the heck I'm supposed to be doing that day. Like, I'm not a weather guy. I don't imagine being on a beach. I don't imagine skiing. So, like, oh, I want to, like, I love my home. And I love my wife. And I love my job. I love our business. And I just love, I love, like, the day-to-day. Um, I actually, the painting I just posted most recently was a series I did in 2016. Um, your motto, you said, have the best day ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to always say, no bad days there's just no such thing like I'm sorry I need that rain I need that affliction I need that adversity I need whatever's gonna make me suffer Mm -hmm. um because without that I'm not moving if I'm not suffering I'm not moving like I don't I don't believe in a stress-free life because stress is what makes change so like um yeah best day is today best day is like whatever like <laughs> just, just just down for it yeah. you know what i'm saying I like think you need it because at the end of the day we work for ourselves i do exactly what i want to do every day mm-hmm. so i can't really say nothing else yeah, you gotta choose <laughs> yeah. i do exactly what i want to do every day i don't have to show up for them clients and go home and shut it down ain't no boss around here yeah so I, I don't know i just feel very grateful to be able to say that and do that and to to really mean it um yeah bro I, I i did want to share um i i love the intentionality between you two you know what i'm saying that's something that's always struck me since day one i haven't known you guys too well yet and I'm just through passing in the gym but through what i've read through the way you guys talk the intentionality you guys are so watchful over everything which is like true diligence you know what I'm saying? I was literally studying this in scripture the other day about um, one of the greatest things that God says in his word is 
be watchful of your heart. Guard your heart. Don't follow it. Guard it. People talk about follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Guard your heart. Um, Because from that place, life flows. You know what I'm saying? And so when I listen to everything you guys are saying, it's just because this is kind of what I'm learning right now. It's like, I wonder, I ask, like, God, why why do I feel like, you know, I'm up, then I'm down, and I'm up, and I'm up. What, what is up with the inconsistencies? Like, because nobody's on guard for your heart. You're just out here living. You're not out here being intentional. You're not being watchful. There's no discipline. There's no diligence for the day. Like, so therefore, he says um, in the Greek, that, that word be watchful is um, as if you were like the prison guard for like a very specific prisoner, and it's like you're on watch, and you're watching everything he's doing, and you're making sure he ain't leaving, He's not doing no funny business. You're always just, you have high regard for what's happening in that cell. And I feel like everything y'all preach is like on brand for that. It's like, don't just be out here living. Like, let's be diligent about this. Let's write these things down. Let's put something permanent on paper. Let's let's check in. Let's have those conversations. But I don't think enough people are like being watchful. And therefore, they're just digesting media all day, not knowing that, that you're, you're supposed to be a gatekeeper. You're just letting that junk come right on in. Hey, there is nobody on guard for your heart. Every, people are coming in your house. They're renovating it. They're doing whatever they want to the rooms, et cetera. And um, so I just want to, like, just say I really respect that, and I love that about you, too, that I feel like you guys are educating and encouraging more people. Be watchful. Be mindful. Like, don't just train. Don't just live to train. Don't just eat to live, et cetera, like, be watchful, be mindful. Um, and I don't know, I love that the most about your guys' brand. Like, living better starts with being diligent with the small things every day. Um, but it ain't sexy. <laughs> yeah. First, thank you. We really appreciate that. I think it's funny people talk about mindfulness, but that is that is what mindfulness is. It's, it's protecting your mind because that's the way down to your heart. Your heart like feels things some first but the way in the 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 door is through your eyes and your ears like that is seeping in all day long all you do is take inputs so if you don't that's something that i really appreciate about you is that you always listen everybody who i've come in contact with that i've ever shared like oh we've ever shared a sentiment about you is always like he holds space really well like he's curious he's asking you about it and he's looking at you and he listens well because he's responding to things that he knows you're feeling and saying and putting those things together and then asking you real questions. I like that you said I was addressing conflict in my life because I feel like to do that in a way that is not like asshole-ish, Correct. you have to take time to sit there for a second and say, like, why do I feel conflict from this? And how do I want to mindfully on watch respond to that to make sure I'm both protecting myself and protecting like us because I think we have these when you have a relationship like you can that like little heart pathway is what you feel there's a presence to people there's a vibe you call whatever you want but like you don't have to say much and you know some people invade that space and you're like I don't I wouldn't have to say anything like I don't want you in my I don't want you in my space I only want to be surrounded by people who are sort of like also helping me be on watch absolutely <laughs> right yeah and i that's that's something i think we immediately felt before um really appreciate that about dinner that i went to about other people in your life i think everyone kind of shares that kind of common sentiment and the last thing 
that I want to ask before we let you go is you said something during that yoga class, which pulls this all together. It was, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically it was like, you're not your work. Like your value does not come from your work product. And however you said that was more eloquent. Can you just like yeah. leave people with that? Um, that is one of my biggest just like pillars in my foundation is you are not what you do. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. Like, who you are comes before what you do. Um, being comes before doing. Like, I'm not going to lie. It, it really breaks my heart how much I feel like my athletic background really destroyed my mind and my heart and left me, like, just on the side of the road. Once the sport was done, I felt like death, like, this is the only thing I've ever thought about. This is the, no one's ever asked me, like, I was telling some kids that nobody asked me what I wanted to be in life or do in life until I was 23 years old. To me, that's effed up. That's effed up. Like, it's only been to do the massive events or anything like that. But, like, no, we are 100% equal because we both come before what we do, and that's where we find common ground. Um, that's where we find value at. So, yeah, you're not what you do. You're not what you create. You're not what you produce. You can find identity in that, but it's a slippery slope because you produce something bad, you suck now. And if you can't keep producing, your life's kind of over now. That's where your identity is at. And so not many people have been through a life identity crisis. I'm grateful that mine was at 22. I mean, that was some of the worst months of my life. Um, and it's just because my entirety was wrapped around this sport and this game. Um, and that's 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 a fool's game, man. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Where can uh, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. That's it, Kofi Hughes. That's it. <laughs> Done. I ain't got nothing else. Um, <laughs> website's decent. I tried to make it myself, KofiHughesTraining.com, but. Um, yeah, find me on, on IG or someone that knows me. That's about it. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Well, we always wish, Thanks, wish you the best day ever. Absolutely. I'll take it. <laughs> I love it. Boom.